Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 6 as we continue in this book. As we go through these, this is very important stuff to the church. And really probably if we'll think about it, you know, we have uh, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, and, and Wednesday night. And if you think about it, this time together as the church body, the core of the church, is really extremely important for us as a body. It's extremely important to us going forward, and so I th- I'm thankful that you're here tonight. But what we're going to learn this evening is, uh, is, is stuff that we must do well to listen to. Every child uh, should understand parts of this, and, and um, parents, I encourage you to, um, to bring them along in what we've, uh, what we've uh, uh, touched on tonight. That's part of the reason I even gave them coloring pages to uh, jog, their, uh, jog their memories and uh, to help some things go home with them this evening. But this is an important passage of Scripture if we're going to continue. This might be the last message I ever preach. You don't know. Jesus might come back, and that would be a blessing. I might die before the next service. Friends, we're not, we, we, we can't take anything for granted. We cannot take anything for granted. And we don't know what is going to um, be ahead of us in the next, the next days. Our, our, our lives are rapidly changing. We do well to take heed to the Word. And so let's give attention to it on tonight. Uh, with everything that we have, and uh, I appreciate you being here tonight. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 6. For of this sort, what sort? Those from verse number 5 having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts. Now, that uh, you didn't know, kids, that in the Bible there was a word silly. Well, there it is, right there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 6. Now, these people, in verse number 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou, Timothy, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, out of, uh, of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
Now I want you to read verse number 14 with me together. Ready and begin. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Father, bless your word to our hearts. We need its guidance. I pray for us as the Grace Baptist Church. I pray that you would help us to be, uh, first of all, focused on you and your word, even in this, this moment, in this hour. I pray that you would uh, just... Uh, Quiet our hearts, uh, remove distractions, Lord. I pray that we would be able to give attention to your word. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to draw us as a church family to yourself and then closer to each other. And I pray that the, the common bond would be the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us tonight to gain understanding of you, what you want us to do in this day uh, that is an incredibly evil day. And I pray that we would not turn to the right hand or to the left, but we would stay focused on your truth in this day and that we would continue on for you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And let's be seated. And as we think about this passage of Scripture tonight, it really, it really comes quick on the heels of the last uh, message that we spoke and really what Paul wanted uh, Timothy to understand about the last days, that they would be perilous days, that they would be pressing down and that there would be full on the days would be full of deceivers, deceivers that that had a, a form of godliness, a shape, a facade of godliness, but denied the power thereof, uh, resisted the power of, and they didn't want the power of God. They didn't want true Christianity. They they wanted their own way. And so Paul wanted Timothy to really know about that. But in order to, uh, to keep last Sunday night from going into a three-hour sermon, really wanted to break it up. And so this is really just part two of last Sunday night, which helps us to understand what we need to do in response to under, uh, realizing that these are incredibly evil days, that the last days would be perilous, they would be hard to bear. Maybe you've said this to yourself, boy, I just don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can handle this problem. I don't know if I can handle what's going on. I don't know about the future. I don't know if I can handle thinking about my kids going into the future. You think about the, the days that are very, very hard to bear in these last days and the season that we're going into right now. And Paul wanted Timothy to realize, yes, the perilous times would absolutely come. Men would be lovers of their own selves. And there would be 17 different characteristics that Paul would say and, 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 and characterize the, the men and the women of the last days, the culture of the last, uh, the last days. And he wanted, uh, he wanted Timothy to understand that. And he wanted them to understand that there would, be, there would be a semblance, there would be a facade of godliness, but there would not be the power behind it. It would be like running a vacuum cleaner without the cord plugged in. It just, it was a facade. It was the show of it, but there was no power behind it. Boy, we live in a day where we see that all over, quote unquote, religion. There's the, the form of godliness, but there's no power attached to it. It does nothing to affect the lives. People are hurt by it, in fact. And as you go about witnessing, I urge you to remember that the people you meet that might be out of church and might have been out of church for a long time, the likelihood of them having been hurt by the form of godliness that denied the power thereof is very, very high. And uh, uh, to uh, and approach them with a loving heart and help them to realize that wasn't God. That was, not, that was not God's design, Christ's design. That is not what Jesus Christ is building. Not at all. He is not building a powerless church. He's not building a facade that crumbles at the first, uh, at the first sign of, uh, of, of, of problems and opposition. He's not building that. By the way, as we've come through this time of, of, 
really the winnowing or the purging of the church, we have seen how many that had the form of godliness but denied the power thereof found themselves absolutely powerless to stand up against the onslaught of the secular world against the church. And so much of that has gotten purged even in this day, uh, not just in churches as a, as a corporate body, but also in the lives of, of believers. So Timothy needed to know all this. And uh, how, what we know, what we prepare for in our mind will help us engage in the battle, will help us to do what Paul wanted Timothy to do, which was endure and to endure affliction as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So unless we know these things, we're going to get caught off guard. So the importance of being here tonight and really knowing some things as we approach these days is, is just enormously, enormously important. So Paul is going to encourage Timothy, listen, I want you to be aware of this in a little bit deeper and fuller way. So let's dive in and notice the work of these deceivers that we left off last, last, uh, last week. The work of these deceivers. What would be the MO of these, the, the, the mode of operation that these deceivers would go by? And these deceivers were described there in verse number five, and they were they were creeping into the church there at Ephesus, and the word is used right, <laughs> they were creeping. Uh, and as I've said before, false teachers never come to the front door, schedule an appointment with the pastor and say, I would like to bring false doctrine and heresy into the church. They don't do that. They never do that. They always creep in. They meet at the coffee shop. They look at someone who they can pray on and they begin to filter it in. They send it through text. They send it through emails. It gets shared on Facebook or whatever the case may be. Here's a, a video that you really ought to watch. This man is, and they begin to creep in with their, their, um, their wicked and uh, godless doctrine, their, their heretical doctrine. So that's what's going on in the church of Ephesus. There are those that are creeping in. They did not have technology to help them creep in. They physically, they brought their doctrine to people. Now, it's interesting that the false teachers were targeting, specifically here, weak-willed women. And this is not a slap in any way. Paul's not downing women in any way. But I want us to really catch what's going on here. They're going after weak-willed, uh, those women that really did not have a resistance to that, that said, you know, that sounds pretty good. You know, that, uh, I, I think that sounds about right. And then they shared it on their Facebook account with somebody else because it sounded, uh, sounded really good. And so they're preying on the weak-willed women. He's, he, the, the work of the deceiver is that they're going to look for the weak among and they're going to go after them. Now, there are men that are weak-willed, but in, in, in this specific instance, in Ephesus, there were women, there was a group of women or individual women that, that were meeting together and that did not have the spiritual fortitude and the spiritual discernment to stand up and say, no, this is not true. And there's a reason for that. Notice verse number six. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. Now notice, they creep in, they slip in, and this is, their, this is their tool. This is what they do. As they creep in, they lead them captive. Literally, the word has the idea that they, they take captives as in prisoners of war. So they are, this is, this is Satan's tactic in, in dismantling the church creating a disunity within the church. He goes after the weak, and he, he pulls them away, leading them away captive. This is the way that he does it. And he specifically targets the silly. Now, these women were those that were weak. That's really kind of the idea of, of silly. It's only used here in the, the New Testament. Uh, foolish, uh, they, they, they would be those that could be pitied. 
Um, but they were, they were weak in their will. They were weak in their, in their ability to stand up against. And so Satan targeted them for this temptation and this false doctrine. Now, question for you. Who was it that Satan first targeted in, in, on earth with temptation and got, got them to doubt God's word? Eve. Now, this is important. Uh, this is important for our, our church. This is important for our homes. There is a reason that God wants there to be unity between a husband and wife. Um, and this is not saying that uh, there are women that are not, not spiritual. There are women in this church that, that far outshine the men, all right? You know what I'm saying? You guys, you, if you're honest sometimes, your wife's spirituality blows you away. Uh, so th- it's, it's in no way a, a, a casting down on women, in no way at all. But what we need to understand here is, is Satan loves to target and get, get them away from the group and target, target them. Now, Satan did a great job, and he brought down the first family uh, in, in that way. But in this situation, I want you to notice what, is, what makes these women so susceptible. It's not, it's not their gender that makes them susceptible. It's what comes next after it talks about silly women, weak-willed women. What comes next is that they were laden with sin. Do you see that with me? They were laden in sin. They were fully engaged in sin. These women within the church had not been right with God. They had gossiped and not gotten it right. They had held resentment and not gotten it right. They were fully engaged in their sin and they were not getting it right. And let me just say right now, the importance of us having short accounts with God. It will cause problems down the road if we are not right with God, every single one of us. Unless you think, oh, I don't have a leadership role in the church, it really doesn't matter. If you tonight are laden with sin, you are a believer tonight, laden, burdened down with sin, fully engaged in sin that no one knows about, it will come out, Satan will destroy your life, he will hurt you. And that is the absolute truth is what's going on right here. And their, their full engagement in sin led them away with their own lusts. These ladies were not just, they were engaging in the sin, but they were being led around like, like a bull with a ring in the nose. They were being led around by their own lust, their evil cravings. So that's what's going on. This is not a good situation. Satan has a full handle, a full platform for destroying their lives right now. He, he, they were heaped up with sin, as one man said. They were, um, they were fed. They were, they were getting nourishment from their various lusts. And so it's a problem. And that's what was going on. That is what made them so susceptible to this sin and so susceptible to the false teachers coming in. Now notice verse number seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Listen, unless we take truth and connect it with our practice, we'll, we'll walk on. They could hear truth all day long. But unless they're willing to, to take the truth and apply it in their hearts, where the Bible says, be kind to one another, forgiving one another, unless they're willing to say, you know what, God, I haven't forgiven that other lady in the church, so I'm now going to practice your truth and I'm going to apply this truth to, your, to my life, there's never going to be a connecting. And so they were going on and they're going on, uh, uh, going after their lust, uh, continuing to hear more and more from the false teachers, never coming to the acknowledge or the personal experience of the truth. And we can have a lot of head knowledge, but whether we have a personal experience with the truth is a far different story. Are you with me? The importance of that. And friends, the, the, the easiest way for us to, to have a divide, so we are intellectually stimulated by truth from God's word, if we do not take God's word and practice it in our lives, we will be just like these folks that are ever learning and very susceptible to the false teachers. We're ever learning 
and we're never able to come to the knowledge, never able to come to the personal grasping of that truth where it becomes our reality. It's something that we parrot, but it's not something that we, we actually grasp personally. And so these ladies were without this. They had this attitude of a openness to learn. Well, we'd like to hear everyone's side of the story. We'd like to, we'd like to give them a chance to say their thing. And they were very open-minded. Uh, and they were never able to come to personal knowledge of the truth. And they were very much, as Ephesians 4.14 says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They were restless in their own souls. And I cannot under, underscore enough the importance of our being right with God. Your personal holiness is one of your greatest protectors. You say, where is that found in the Bible? In the armor. The breastplate of righteousness, that is practical righteousness. And your, your personal holiness on an everyday basis, within your home, outside of your home, at the workplace, on your text messages, where you go on the internet, everywhere, your personal holiness is a breastplate of righteousness. It protects all the vital organs of your life. The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so if we do not deal with our sin as these ladies did not deal with our sins, we are, we are fully prepared. We are fully open to Satan's attacks. Oh, how I encourage you, be right with God. Do not engage. If the Holy Spirit's touching your heart tonight, get it right. Whatever it is, whatever that means, get it right. But notice what happens. How should we think about these deceivers who creep in and go after the weak? Think about it. It says that they are resisting the truth. These is, this is what we ought to consider them as, those that resist the truth. They're not nice guys just kind of you know, following a, 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 a bad path. These are those that resist the truth, and resisting God's truth is a very big deal. Notice how it says with the illustration, Now Janus, as Janus and Jamboree's withstood Moses, so do also, these also resist the truth. They resist it, they oppose it, they stand against it. Now, it's interesting, you won't go back in the Bible and find Janus and Jamboree's um, this is more of a, a Jewish tradition that is being, uh, that is being uh, alluded to here by Paul, and, and it is in reference to those that were the magicians in Pharaoh's court back in the land of Egypt. And so Paul's just highlighting and giving some names to some guys that, that perhaps uh, were the guys that were the magicians. We don't know if that was actually their names or if that was just Jewish tradition uh, that gave them those names. But regardless, it's referring back to those guys uh, that resisted Moses in Pharaoh's courts as, as the magicians. No, think about it. It says in Exodus 7 and verse number 11, Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers, now the magicians of, of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their, their enchantments. So uh, kids, as you're uh, coloring those sheets tonight, uh, on those first two, the first kids, what is the first, what is the first plague that happened? Do you remember? What's the first plague that happened? Someone raise your hand and tell me. Okay, so the Nile River turned to blood. Someone else, tell me what the second, the second, uh, yes. The frogs, where did the frogs come from? It's a good question, but they came out of the water, okay? So it's, it's interesting. So in both of these cases, uh, Janus and Jambres, these ma magicians are compared to these false teachers, but how, how so? In that they were able to, to, uh, they were able to mimic what Moses did through trickery, deceit, and magic. They were able to make the water 
turn to, turn to blood or look like blood, they're able to make frogs come out, uh, out of the water and come, uh, come into Egypt. So they were able to duplicate those things. So what he's saying is these magicians in Egypt, through, through their, their trickery and through their magic, sought to discredit the truth of Moses. Oh, yeah? You think you're, you're the servant of the Most High God? You say you're, you're the, 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 God, um, the servants of the God of Israel, the, the I am, the self-existent one? So we can do the same thing. What does that say about your God? You understand how they were discrediting the truth and they were resisting the truth there in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh was all, all the happier to see this happening in front of him. So they resisted, they opposed it. Now notice what happens here in verse number eight. These are men of corrupt minds, referring back to these that are mentioned in verse number five, these are men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Reprobate concerning the faith. Now, being corrupt, this was, this was who they had become. This, this had become their characteristic. This had become who they were. And so this corruption had, that had come upon them as they resisted the truth, this corruption had come upon them and they were twisted in their minds. As one author said, their minds are rotten to the core. I don't like rotten apples at all, but once in a while, or, uh, or a rotten orange, once in a while we'll get a bag from, from Aldi and right in the center of that bag will be a rotten, a rotten orange or a rotten apple. It's pretty, I'm pretty disgusting and it's already affecting the others. Rotten to the rotten to the core, and so that's what these were. This, this corruption had come upon them as they resisted the truth, but notice how he says they're repro a reprobate concerning the faith. Reprobate simply means it's the idea of disqualified, morally reprehensible. So they, they're disqualified concerning the faith. What is faith? Not just belief, but it is the faith of the gospel. It is the acceptance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider this, what is Paul telling Timothy under inspiration? He's saying, listen, these men who have crept into houses and they have, uh, they have targeted these though, on these that are fully engaged in sin and those that are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the, of the faith, these men did not pass the Christian test. What's the Christian test? You remember what Jesus asked? Do you remember what Jesus asked his disciples in Caesarea Philippi? Hey, guys, who do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're John. Well, that's, that's, that's good. Some say you're Elias. Well, that, that's good. Some say that you're the prophet. Well, that's good, but uh, I want to know who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that point, Peter set himself apart from every other person in the world as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And flesh and blood did not show that to him. That was, that was delivered, that was revealed to him by, by the Father, which is in heaven. And it's an amazing thing. So these ones in the church of Ephesus that were creeping in the houses did not pass the test of Christian faith. They did not accept Jesus Christ as God. They, they resisted the gospel. They were against the gospel. They did not accept it personally. And I want us really just to grab and, and dive a little deep here uh, and just understand that this is the test of Christianity or the Christian faith today. Every religion, this is the dividing line. You say, well, how do I witness to people? How do I uh, discern whether they're a believer or not? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, the, uh, is God, the, the Son of the uh, living God? Do they believe that he is absolutely God? Or do they believe that he's a man, a good man, a good teacher, a, a, God, a man that became God? Uh, one commentator put it this way, and I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy uh, quote. The, the greatest single test that can be applied to them is to ask the simple question, is Jesus Christ 
God. Many of them seek to hide their false doctrine by admitting Jesus is the Son of God, but they mean that he is the Son of God in the same sense that other, uh, others are children of God. But when faced with the question, is Jesus Christ, notice, God? Is Jesus Christ God? They show their true colors. They not only deny the deity of Jesus Christ, but usually become angry when so challenged. This is true Christian. Uh, this is true of Christian scientists, spiritualists, uh, 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 Christadelphians, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Way, many other religions where they, they, they say, oh, yeah, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they deny he, him as, as God. Uh, the Mormon uh, religion uh, believes that he became God, that he was a brother of Lucifer, he be, became God. You understand that there is, there is so much uh, deception that is out there in the, in the different uh, religions. And so here's the, the dividing line. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is he God? Is he God in the flesh? Well, your answer really puts you on one side of the faith or the other. Isn't it amazing how, how complex it seems, but really how simple it is? That's it. That's the dividing line. And as you go out into this world this, on, this week, the dividing line is, is Jesus Christ God? Have you accepted him as God? Have you accepted him as the only way for salvation? Have you accepted him? And so it's very, very simple, but these have been reprobate. They have been disqualified uh, of, uh, concerning the faith. And it's not that they have been barred from the faith. It was that they resisted the truth and they don't pass the test. They cannot be called brothers in Christ. They're heretics of the, of the worst sort, going in and trying to deceive and to lead, uh, lead these sin-laden uh, uh, women away from, uh, away from God. So really what this helps us to do is just be discerning in these days. That's the question that we need to keep in mind. So are we responsible to expose these people? Are you responsible to expose? Are, these, these are there these type of people in our city? Are you all sure? Well, absolutely they are. Uh, those that deny who Jesus Christ is, and they, they try to pull people to their own, their own, their own side. They absolutely are. Sometimes they, they show up on your doorstep, and they're, they're trying to say there's only one, only Jehovah, right? Uh, or they, they show up in, the, in, in, in different ways. They're showing up uh, to, uh, to try to persuade you to their, own, uh, to their own self. Now, are we responsible to expose them? Look at verse number nine. Read it out loud together with me. Let me know that you're not asleep tonight. Verse number nine, ready and begin. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. All right. We need to believe that. I remember years ago, it was probably uh, 2009, preaching a message, uh, message and preparing for it from this passage of Scripture, and that really, really stood out to me that this is absolute truth. This is God and his perspective on the false teachers and the heretics of our day. But they shall proceed no further. Now think about it. Their folly is their foolishness. They're going to be openly made known. It's going to be manifest. Everyone's going to know they were lying. Everyone's going to know that they were deceiving. Everyone's going to know it. It's going to be very evident. It's going to be clearly revealed in the mind and the, the senses. It's going to be something that, that is, is noticeable. And here's the thing that we need to remember, that each system of error will be exposed. You're going to say, well, there's a lot of systems of error. Well, there, there sure is. There's a lot of systems of error. But we must understand that God will expose it in time. 
Air always comes to the surface. You, you never hide rust, correct? It eventually comes out. A mold, it eventually comes out. Corruption comes out. And you know what? Right now, there's, there's so much trying to hide truth in our society and trying to, to stamp it down, stand on top of it, drive tanks over top of it, and you know, um, put a concrete pad. You know what? It comes out. You watch some of these old, uh, you watch some of these old uh, uh, shows you know, uh, uh, trying to solve murder mysteries and so forth. You know what? It comes out. It comes out. Uh, you know, they're, they're breaking up concrete and they find the bones you know, inside of a, a pad. It comes out. Air comes out. It's a pretty amazing thing. And God says their air will be manifest. Now, as also theirs was. So we go back to the, uh, Egypt. All right, kids, we're back in Egypt. All right, you ready? Here's what's happening in Egypt. So the first two plagues are the blood, correct? The blood, the water uh, turned to um, blood, or at least they made it look like they turned it to blood. Maybe they had some food coloring or something. I don't know. You know, slip that in really quick. I don't know what was going on. But they at least made it look like, and these guys are demon, you know, they were satanically possessed or energized, and they got the frogs to come out of the water, okay? So think about it. Then they come to the third plague. What is the third plague, kids? Tell me what the third plague. Yes. Okay, gnats. Now, the Bible says lice, all right? So um, we want to use that. I know it's on your coloring sheet because uh, that could be understood as um, uh, in reference in time or whatever. It could be It could be gnats. It could be several different types of things. But we know it's a, an icky little uh, uh, little organism, little something that we don't want, whether it's gnats or whether it's lice, I don't know what it was, but it was something that no one wanted. Now, here's what I want you to do. Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 16, and the Lord said unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, do you have dust in your home? Now, I want you to think about this just for a minute. Brenton says, not in my home. Oh, he said, I, I'm not reading lips very well. <laughs> All right, get along over there. <laughs> there is no dust in your home, brother. There is no dust. For the sake of your marriage, there's no dust in your home. Um, but nonetheless, think about the dust that might be in other people's homes, but not Brenton Brubaker's home. And... And understand that, that God is saying to Moses, all the dust that is in Egypt is going to become lice. Now, before kids, what's going on is they're calling the frogs that already lived in, in the different places, they're calling them out of the waters. But in this is a different scenario. The lice is being created from nothing, from dust. Now, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but this is really, really awesome in what God, what God is illustrating here and really the power of God. So we go on, verse 17, Exodus 8, and they did so. So Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice. Now notice, in man, that's general in man, so that's man and women, children. You know, they're starting to itch. Hey, kids, can you itch a little bit, right? Can you itch for me? Something like that. Yeah, it, they're itching. And in the beasts, so the cows, the giraffes, whatever else was, the, the tigers, whatever else is over there in Egypt, they're, they're all itching and, uh, and the dogs and, and so on. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout, uh, throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, here's the interesting story. Kids, are you listening? And the magicians, who were successful in the first two times, did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. 
we got this. I can imagine they were a little bit haughty. We're going to show him again. He ain't nothing. We're going to show him again. And so they're, they're all haughty and, and, and so on, and they did so with their enchantments, but they could not. Wow. They could not. They hit a, they hit a wall. I don't know, Pharaoh. I don't know what's going on, but we can't do this. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. So God's act of creating lice that was infesting all the men and women and children and beasts of Egypt was not able to be reproduced by, by these magicians. They were not able to bring life out of nothing. Mm. That's pretty awesome. All right, so what happens in the next verse? You've got to get this. Mark this down, go back and look at it, remember it. Exodus 8 and verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, can you imagine them standing before him? Like, what do we tell him now? Uh, what are we going to say? We, we were doing really good. We were, on a, we were at least, you know, we were 2-0. Uh, we were, we were I mean, we, we were going forward. This, this was working out. And they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Do you hear that? Oh, wait a minute. This Lord that I'm not going to bow to, the magicians are now saying, this is the finger of God. And they came face to face with the reality that they could not do what God only could do, and that is to create life out of nothing. So how do these guys measure up or illustrate what the, the false teachers and heretics were doing in Ephesus? Simply in this way. They're lies, their deception, their false teaching never brought true spiritual life. It tickled ears. It led people away from the, the body of Christ. It corrupted minds. It, it allowed people to stay in their sin, um, their sin and not get right with God and with one another, but it never brought true life. It never gave them spiritual life. And, and the fact is, heresy and those that are, resist the truth never give life. Have you noticed how those that are resisting the truth in our day, the evolutionists, are always so angry against the truth? Why? It doesn't give them life. It drains them of life. It doesn't refresh them. It drains them of life. It never leads to, to regeneration. So the truth is, their teaching there in Ephesus did not lead to true spiritual regeneration. It hurt people. It destroyed. And isn't that the mark of Satan? It absolutely is. Later on in Exodus number nine, chapter 9, verse 11, the magicians, when they were, uh, they were uh, under the plague of boils, all right, kids, those boils didn't feel really good. Can you imagine having boils all over your body? Has anyone ever had a boil? Like those things do not feel good, but they were all over the body. I mean, it was like, it is a massive sore and it's all over the body. It's hurting very, very badly. And so uh, the Bible says here in Exodus 9, verse number 11, that the magicians could not now stand in front of Moses because of the boils. So it's not only that they, they come up against something where they were not able to accomplish it, now they're not even able to stand in the presence of Moses because of, of this. This was, uh, the, the plagues were so coming after them. And it's just an amazing thing how God is saying, their folly's going to come to full manifestation just like it did in Egypt. They had egg all over their face. They were eating the crow sandwiches. They had been shamed in front of their king. And here's the thing that we need to understand Lovers of the truth, believers like yourself, 
need not be swayed or discouraged by the work of the deceivers. We must go forward with confidence knowing that every single lie and deception will be exposed. We do not have to personally expose it. God will do it in time. He may use us. He may use the declaration of his word through our mouths. But the fact is, God will expose. God's truth is not in danger. And it never has been. And though the kings of this world think that they are they're more haughty than it all, God will expose it all in his time and in his, in his way, and we can rest in that. There's another form of resting, resting that. We can, we can bite our, our, our fingernails down and think, oh, what, what, what's going to happen in our day? There's so much lies and there's so much falsehood. God will expose it in time. And to give a case study for that tonight, I am going to take just a moment to show how this has happened in a very real way within the last within my lifetime, and I'm going to give you some names and give you a church and give you a philosophy that was very, very much erroneous and how God brought that full circle in a period of time. Some of you are going to recognize it. Others of you, you're going to say, I've never heard of that on that before, and so I want to give this to you. I want to ask you a question. Is drawing a crowd, is drawing the crowd a marker or an indication of true spiritual success? Jesus drew crowds, but many left, right? Uh, once they really found out what he was about, many, many left. Okay, so there is an error that has plagued the church for years that the bigger it is, the better it is. Now, praise the Lord for, for good-sized churches. Uh, we should never, as a Grace Baptist Church, ever put a cap on God. We should, we should have a heart as big as, as God, but we should not become persuaded by that. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it should not be the spirit of us for no more. It ought to burden your heart like it burdens mine to see empty seats in here tonight. You with me? You praying about that? You working towards that? You inviting towards that? So it, we ought not be against it, but just, but you understand how many times you get asked, one of the first questions I always get asked as a pastor, and then I get, you know, you get ranked into it, uh, whether you're a success or not a success. How many church, uh, how many people does your church run? Oh, oh, okay, well, then you're, you're just not really successful yet uh, un, you know, until you get to a certain size. You understand that. I once had, and I, I kid you not, and I don't, know, I don't remember the guy's, uh, guy's name, um, but, uh, but I was once told by a preacher that I would never pastor a church over 500 if I didn't get my master's degree. Uh, and you, you think about some of the just the erroneous doctrine that is out there. I'm not against master's degree. I want to get my master's degree and, and go, um, go further in my, uh, in my study. That's, that's, that's great. But it's some of the erroneous doctrine or thinking that is out there. So uh, especially around, the, uh, around size, size. So we always think bigger is better, especially here in America. All right. So let's, let's run this. There was a church in, in Chicago or a pastor that, that pastored in Chicago uh, for, for many years. And uh, he had been a youth pastor. He had uh, really found that uh, he realized that if he would kind of survey the youth that were not in church, he could, he could discover what kept them out of church and really draw them back in. So he was uh, seemingly successful at doing this, surveying these youth and finding out what, you know, what, what drove them away and so that he brought them back. And, and he, had, he had success. So he decided uh, that he would do the same thing, but just on a, on a, on a larger level beyond youth and do a, a larger thing. So in 1975, uh, he and a crew of, of youth from, that, uh, from that, that group they began to spend eight hours a day, six days a week, conducting house-to-house -house surveys in, in the Chicago area. 
And, uh, and their first question was, are you active in a local church? When they got a yes, they, they promptly said, have a good day, and they, they walked off the, off the step. When they said no, they asked the question, would you be willing to tell us why you do not attend? And so they got all sorts of earfuls, as you can imagine. Uh, church is boring, church is irrelevant, uh, church is predictable, and uh, church is always asking for money, all these different things. So they very quickly concluded that uh, tr- uh, traditional church is not going to draw in the unchurched. It's not going to draw in the, the crowds. And so uh, drawing, uh, drawing cues from what they learned in that survey, they begin to put together a, a strategy uh, for how they were going to do church in that city and in that area. You with me so far? All right. Some of you are ahead of me. You already know the name and so forth. I see some heads shaking. This is important for Saul to realize because, because it illustrates once and again how that error will always come out. God will prove himself right. Truth will always be vindicated. So the strategy, first of all, they, they had a two-pronged strategy. Uh, the first would be that they would have weekend services, one on Saturday night, uh, two on Sunday morning, and they would be designed to attract, notice, designed to attract the unchurched. Do you know why that, I don't want to digress too much. It's tempting to digress a lot here. But do you know why uh, we often talk about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place? It really does not matter. It does not matter. Nothing else matters but that Jesus Christ is preeminent in this place. And so we have to keep that. But they, they designed it around these unchurched. So this was called the seeker-sensitive uh, seeker sen- model. And uh, they would provide low-key, notice low-key evangelistic environments. Seekers who are able to remain anonymous, uh, investigate Christianity at their own pace, and so uh, the pastor, who's, uh, whose name was Bill Hybels, uh, would preach Christianity 101 messages in series, sometimes th- on three-week series, sometimes 10-week series, not against series, but in, in order to draw what they called the unchurched Harry, the unchurched Harry. Uh, these, these series were on wi- uh, widely different uh, subjects, um, but they typically had a topic, and they were kind of a, a buzz topic that, to capture people's attention and, and, and draw uh, draw them in. And so contemporary music also played a key role. Understand contemporary music also drawed a, a key role in preparing their hearts. I, I said that contemporary music also drew a, a, um, played a key role in preparing their hearts and minds for the day's topic. And I just don't want us to, to miss that because contemporary music has been used over and over and over and over again. And by the way, that's one of the things that has gone into houses leading people astray. What you listen to in your home matters. It matters. What your children hear, it matters. And so they were using contemporary music in, in that way. So in contrast to the weekend services, the part two of their, their prong, just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean it's Christian. I cannot be more serious about that. What plays in probably some radios uh, here is an offense to God. Be careful, because Satan is working. He is working, and he's drawing people away. He is. It is absolutely the reality. And so on the week, uh, in the middle of the week, their, their seeker services would be a little bit different. They would have Wednesday, um, multiple Wednesday, two identical Wednesday meetings in this new community, and they would, they would do this as uh, Christianity 401 was kind of an uptick. Uh, where they focused in getting a little bit de- on deeper. The messages were 30 to 40 minutes on, a, on, a, on um, more of an expository way. And so that's where they would dive in. So if you wanted to hear the word 
uh, get opened up, you'd need to come to that, that Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night. But we kind of shield that from the, those that are kind of uh, unchurched. We want to bring them in and kind of soft pedal it to them, not really give them the word of God. And so we have the birth of the seeker-sensitive movement. And really, uh, Bill Hybels is, is understood as the father of the, of the seeker-sensitive movement. Now, there's much that could be said. There's, there's so much history that goes on uh, in, in church history here in, in America. But this seeker-sensitive movement really was oriented, it oriented the church around the desire of the seeker. Did you catch that? Not the, not the, not the desire of the Savior. It, it oriented the church around the desire of the seeker. So the lost began to set the agenda for the church. All right, is that not godless? That is godless. It's wrong, and yet it happens over and over all throughout our city. It is happening over and over and over and over again. So, you know, sometimes as a pastor here at Grace Baptist Church, sometimes you hear people ask, well, how many do you, uh, do you run? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know what? It, it looks like you're successful, but in my heart, I have to say, at some point, their folly is going to come out. It's going to show itself for what it really is. And I'd rather have a, a group of people and pastor and shepherd and work with a group of people that know God and have oriented their lives around Jesus Christ rather than orienting our church around the, around the desires, the whims of the lost. Because, by the way, the whims on the lost are, as we learned this morning, a restless generation. And it, the moment you try to lock in on something and say, well, we'll do this in order to get the lost, they will change, and you'll have to change along with the lost. So we have a, a world-oriented church rather than a Christ-oriented church, not a good situation at all. So we have the seeker-sensitive movement. However, not too many years ago, uh, the Willow Creek Church released results from a multi-year study on the effectiveness of their programs and their philosophy of ministry. The study's findings are in a new book uh, titled Reveal, What Are You? It was co-authored with uh, several from the, from the church there. Hybels himself called the findings earth-shaking, sh- uh, uh, earth groundbreaking, mind-blowing. And no wonder, it seems the experts, uh, experts were wrong. Those that thought, well, this is how we build church, this is how we put together church, all of a sudden now they're, they're saying, oh, oh, we're, we're actually wrong after they actually evaluated the results. The report revealed that most of what they had been doing for the, uh, the many years and what they had taught millions of others to do is not producing, notice, solid disciples of Christ. Numbers, yes, but not disciples. It gets worse. Here's what Hybels himself said. Some of the stuff we have put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually, when the data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we did, uh, that we didn't um, put that much money into and didn't put much staff uh, against it is stuff that our people were crying out for. So here's here's what's the bottom line is they were admitting in this publication, they were admitting the seeker-sensitive model orienting your church, the, the, the formation of your church around the whims of the lost didn't work. How many of you would say, I, I think we could have said that? There's a fair amount of churches across the country that said, well, I think we could have said that. If you simply want a crowd, the seeker-sensitive model produces results. If you want solid, sincere, mature followers of Jesus Christ, it is a bust. It doesn't work. So he goes on to say, we made a mistake. We should have done 
we sh- uh, what we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling um, people and teaching people that they, are, uh, they have to take um, responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people uh, how to read the Bible between services. That's a novel thought. Amen? Yeah, like we should be doing that. How to, um, to, uh, to do the spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. So here's what we have. We have what is seen as a guru in church growth coming to the end after all those years of teaching saying, you know what, we made a mistake. My point is not to inflict on a, ma- a man uh, like him, but I want us to realize God's word absolutely comes true and it's come true in our day. Now, lest you think, lest you think that this is this, what he says has caused all the seeker-sensitive models to, uh, to say, you know what, we're going to stop doing this. We're going to try to make uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, it's still going on. And it will come to, it will come to itself. It will, it will come and be exposed in time, in God's time. He will take care of that. We don't have to expose it all. Uh, even now, the whole, if you've done any following of what's going on there, it did not produce disciples even within the staff, even of himself. And it's kind of a very shameful situation, but my, my point is God's word comes true. But my other point that is very important that we need to understand, the seeker-sensitive uh, error, if you will, has been rebranded, and there are many independent Baptists that are, are buying into it. Friends, you go on vacation and you look for independent Baptists, you are, you're going to be shocked as, as we go further away, as we um, go further at trying to draw, draw a crowd, at trying to build it in, how much independent Baptists are grabbing onto the seeker-sensitive model. And they're orienting their churches around making the lost feel comfortable. Now, should, should the lost be welcomed always in our church? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, is that sometimes going to make you uncomfortable Yes, it will. We need to be prepared for this generation of druggies, those that are fully tatted up, those that have gauges in their ears, those that have lifestyles that they need to break from, homosexuals that are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ that need to come away from that sinful lifestyle. We need to be fully ready to welcome them as they place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not always going to be comfortable. They should be welcomed, but our lives, our church is not oriented around them. It has to be oriented around the Lord Jesus Christ. And any other orientation is, going to, uh, is, is an error, and it is going to be exposed in, in God's time. So one of the things that I hear, hear about uh, often among the independent Baptists is, you know what, we have to contextualize. Well, this is our area, so this is what we must, we must do. We have to contextualize in order to get people to come in. They, they just won't do it. If, if, if we don't do this, they won't come in. And friends, it's a, it's a buzzword. And I understand there's a way that we practice ministry and do ministry here in Dayton, Ohio, in Kettering, Ohio, might be a little bit different than they do it down south. Do you understand that? Are you with me? It might be just a little, there might be some uh, different cultural things that that we do, but none affecting the truth, none affecting the orientation of the church. There's there's some differences, but when we start start saying, well, because we're in this context, we need to do this, and there is is much that is wrong and against God and his heir that is being that is being passed off and labeled as, well, we got to do this because this is what our area demands. And it's a seeker-sensitive model, rebranded, and I'm, I'm telling you, I know right now of, uh, of, of churches right now, 
and that I, uh, that I have even had to, to say, you know what, I'm not going that way. We are not, Grace Baptist Church is not going that way, that have adopted into this, this mindset, the seeker-sensitive model. Well, they will, they will talk all up and down. They'll say, no, we're not. No, we're not. It is absolutely just a rebranded error. But it will come to full, it will come to full circle. It will be exposed in time. And so all that, I hope, enables you to be a little bit more discerning. If you have more questions about that, uh, I'd certainly love to, to talk on that. But uh, I hope that that causes you to be a little bit more discerning and also to rest in this fact that God's word does come true. God's truth can stand on its own. We must continue to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. And what is the church to be doing? But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the, house, uh, the, uh, the church of God, which is the house of God, the pillar and the ground of what? Truth. So we must stay absolutely devoted to the truth of the scriptures. So where does that leave Timothy? The work of these deceivers would stand in stark contrast to Paul's life. Now notice what happens here. The walk of the devoted in um, verses 10 through 13, the walk of the devoted, Paul's life was fully observable. Stark contrast to these deceivers. All their lack of integrity. Paul's life was fully open to Timothy. It was fully observable. He says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. You've known my persecutions as well. So Timothy grew up in Lystra. Give me the map, guys, if you would, please. Uh, he grew up in Lystra. And on the second missionary journey, uh, Paul picks him up and takes him on the, on the journey. So at that point, he really begins to see it. However, Paul mentions that, that Timothy fully knew about all the persecutions which happened in Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, and, and in and Lystra. So he says, you've known all this, and as you began to travel with me, you knew all this. So chapter 14 of Acts, chapter 16 of Acts, you saw this. You saw what I believed, Timothy. Uh, you saw my manner of life. You saw the, the, my behavior, which indicated what I actually believed. You saw it. You were on the trip with me. You stopped at the, uh, at the roadside cafe with me, and you saw me interact with the people. You saw my integrity. You, you saw all this going on. You saw my purpose, what, well, my determinations, what really motivated me, my calling. You saw my faith, my dependence on the, the Lord for, for strength to go forward. You saw my long-suffering and my patience in the trial. You saw my charity and how I unconditionally loved and even how I unconditionally loved the Philippian jailer. And, and even though he inflicted wounds and put me in the stocks, I still loved him and shared the Lord Jesus Christ with him. You saw my patience and my endurance. You saw the beatings I got and the stonings, the persecution, the affliction, the, the pain, the emotional and spiritual pain and the, the physical pain that I, I felt in, in Antioch. And when I was expelled by the Jews, literally run out of town where they shook the dust off their feet and, and the Jews ran them out of town, but it wasn't good enough. They went down to Iconium and, and the unbelieving Jews that were there in that city, they, they, they stirred up the Gentiles in that city and they began to threaten to stone us. So we went on to Lystra and we went down there and the, the Jews from up in Antioch and, and Iconium came down to, to Lystra and they stirred up the people again and they stoned me right in the streets. You saw all that. Wow. My life's an open book to you, Timothy. Timothy's education was on-the-job training. Literally. One of the things that we need to consider, what I mentioned to you a moment ago, you'll never pastor a church over 500 if you don't get a certain amount of education. Do you realize that more valuable sometimes than, than continuing in an education, I'm not downplaying education, please don't walk out. There were schools of the prophets. There was three years, three years with Jesus. You talk about an education. How many would like to learn under Jesus? 
I needed the education I got. But there came a time I needed to, to get out and practice it on the job. I needed to do it in action. And you know what? I don't trade those, those years. And God knew what exactly I needed. I've told you before, when I came to Dayton, I didn't expect to stay here. I didn't expect that God was going to make me the pastor here. I didn't expect all that. But God brought me to Dayton. You know what he did for the first five years? Put a paintbrush in my hand. All right, paint. You know what God was teaching me? You know what that, that lesson was? That God, it was a lesson that took about five years. That position does not equal influence. You don't have to have a title in order to be something for God. All right, it took me five years, but God needed to teach me that lesson. I can only see that in retrospect. And then God began to, to work out the details. But all that was on the job training. It was, it was in, in the moment. It was, it was there. And so Timothy's was on the job training. You know what that required on Paul's part? Transparency. Paul was going to need to be the real deal every day of the week. He was going to need to be the real deal. He was going to need to share his heart. You know what? I, I'm assured that Paul sometimes shared the pains of ministry with Timothy. Timothy, there's going to be some times where you just have to endure. He needed to hear that. He also saw it. But it's also going to require time on, Paul, on Paul's part. How many of you understand that sometimes you can do something faster, but if you bring your children along, you'll teach them? I'm thankful for a dad that brought us along, taught, taught even though I don't always bring my car into, uh, 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 do my, my mechanic work in my garage, but I remember being taught the way around the car, how to change oil, how to change brakes, how to do some of that stuff. Uh, but you know what? I'm certain, I am absolutely certain that it took my dad longer sometimes as he was trying to teach us those things. You understand? But it was on the job training. And the life of a true servant of God is not shrouded in mystery and deceit like those false teachers. It is open and full of integrity. It's open. Here's my life. And that's what um, Paul was giving to Timothy. Now notice in verse nine, or 11, Paul wanted him also to experience that the protective hand of God was upon him, divinely guarding him. What, persons, or what persecutions I endured out of them all, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. I endured them, I withstood them. I endured them. There's our key word in 2 Timothy. Enduring hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He rescued me. In those moments, he lifted me up. He, he, he rescued me when he sent the earthquake there in Philippi and the, the gates opened up and, and I, I, we, we got to lead the Philippian jailer to the Lord. He rescued me when he, he raised me up from the, stony, on the, the pile of stones. In that moment, God did that. God did that. Timothy, I want you to know that God did that. And so Timothy was reminded and needed to remember that the presence and protection of God would be with him as he continued on, as he continued to, to endure for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus telling us that in the world we would have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And certainly that came true for the Apostle Paul. The Great Commission tells us that, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth, and so end of the world. And so Timothy needed to know that from Paul. God's hand is with me, and you need to know that tonight. If you will stand for God, if you'll not get sidetracked by the deceivers, if you'll not get fully engaged in sin, be, and keep short accounts with God, know that God is with you. The protective hand of God will be upon you. You might lose your job. You might be ostracized. You might be shamed. But God will be there. And we must believe that. And Paul believed it, and he was showing that to Timothy. So let's think that it's about 27 years that, since the time that Paul met Timothy. 
and uh, there in Lystra and said and, and heard from the, the church of Lystra, hey, you need to meet this Timothy or you need to take this Timothy along with you on the journey. So it's about 27 years and there's been a, a long-term relationship that has developed here. And Paul brings it all down to this, Timothy. I have a word for you as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you, first of all, in verse 12, I want you to embrace some realities. Yea, all that and all that live Godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to be afflicted. If you choose to stand up for God in this day, you will suffer persecution. Absolutely no doubt about it. You grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior and become more and more like him, you are going to suffer persecution. And the American way is that we, we oppose persecutions. We, we try to get away from it, escape it, get away from it. Kids, if you choose to live godly in this day, children, if you choose to live godly as you grow up as a teenager, as a Daniel, as a, as a Samuel, you're going to suffer persecution in this day. You might as well mark it down, but God will be with you. And as we are conformed more into the image of Christ, as we're renewed and transformed in, the, in our minds, we will, we will find ourselves suffering persecution in this day. The Bible tells us that we are to make sure that our conversation is, uh, is as it becometh the gospel. It's, it adorns the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So if we are going to do that, there is going to be persecution and you will suffer that. Philippians 1 and verse number 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, we love that part, but the second part, but also to suffer for his sake, to suffer for his sake. Now consider that. Timothy needed to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. Because if you're not prepared now, you're going to buckle when the persecution comes. We need the grace of God. And it's not always going to be easy. But we need to remember that their persecution, and Timothy needed to remember, you pastor there in, in Ephesus, there's going to come persecution. There might be a time to put in prison. I don't, I don't think we realize what's happening to our neighbors to the north right now or pastors for opening up their churches and feeding the poor and opening up and preaching the gospel are going, going to prison. We understand this right now. What hap is happening up there and, and the world is looking on saying if America falls, it's the last hope of freedom in our, in our world. And we already see what's happening in Australia. Friends, we are so very close to the reality of us suffering persecution. It's not even funny. You can almost taste it. You can smell it. And we need to remember this is what we, we have. This is what is expected on the behalf of Christ, not just to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Are you ready to sit in a prison cell? Are you ready, men, to preach a message if your pastor sits in a prison cell? Are you ready? So you will suffer persecution if you live godly. We can buckle. We can go their, their way. Oh, whatever you say, whatever the government says, whatever you say, we can go their way. Or we can stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And quickly it's becoming, it's becoming an either-or proposition. So the reality, first of all, that he embraces, you're going to suffer persecution, but the second reality is the evil men are going to get worse and worse. And it's going to blow your mind, Timothy, what they will stoop to. They're going to get worse and worse. Have you, I mentioned this last week. Can you believe what is even being said in front of children anymore? Evil men getting worse and worse. Convoluted, twisted. Illogical. Illogical. In the worst ways. Fill, fill stadiums with people. It'll be all right, but you don't gather at church. You don't gather at church. The pastor that was arrested in, in Canada... 
I watched an interview with him. He said when he got to the airport, flew back from the United States, his mission was to come to the United States and warn the United States of what is coming and, and to stand and stop, stop just trying to be popular. So he goes back to, uh, goes back to, goes back to Canada. You know, he says those, the, the officers were hiding behind. They diverted the plane. He says they were hiding behind like I was a terrorist. And then they nab, and they nab him, and there was so much backlash that they released him. He's released right now, but he's expecting to be in, in prison for six years. Do you, realize, do you realize that evil men are going to get worse and worse, where they, they, they discount what a, what a murderer does, but they elevate what a preacher of the gospel does as a, a, as a true crime? Crazy. Lies are going to increase, and those who believe in lies will increase. And the Bible says that we must embrace these realities. We must steal our determination with this. And we must remember what our passage says, that we're going to see Jesus Christ build his church in this day. Matthew 16 and verse number 24. We're going to have to take up a cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's going to require a, a death to self. And that's not comfortable. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And we must have that in our minds. There's only one person to please in this world. There's only one person that we're going to stand before and give a final account. And that's name is, and his name is Jesus Christ. And uh, we must please him. So where does all this leave Timothy? Verse 14. But continue thou. But continue thou. Timothy determined to continue. Don't, don't slack off. Don't give up. Continue. Continue on. And this is a, a command that Paul is giving. This is a command for us today. Right now, you have to make the choice. No one is going to lift you up off the couch, lift you out of the pew, and help you to continue. You have to make the choice by God's grace to continue forward. Continue, Timothy, in the things that you've learned and the, uh, the knowledge that you've gained. Those moments that you sat down and you listened to your mom and you listened to me as the, as the Apostle Paul. You listened to me, or as Brother Paul. Uh, you listened uh, listen to me in those ways. Uh, you've learned those things. You've set your mind to it. Good job, Timothy, but continue on in them. But he says also continue in the things you've been assured of. It's, it's gone from a head knowledge to a heart assurance that these things are absolutely true. Children, tonight, what has to happen in your lives at some point along the line, you have to go from just what mommy and daddy are teaching you about God's word to actually going into your heart where you believe it so that you can stand for it. Listen, I tell, I, I tell, uh, um, I tell people when they talk about our children and stuff, we're, we're trying to raise warriors for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. Because there's going to come a time where you're going to be tested. And you might even be tested as a Daniel at, the, at a young age, at a teenage age. You might, you might at some, God forbid, but at some point you might be in a situation where you have to stand for God as a young person, as a teenager, as a, as a, a grade school uh, a child. You might have to stand for God and you need to not just have it as something you've learned in your mind, but you need to be convinced that Jesus Christ is absolutely God. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That marriage is between one man and one woman. We were at the, we were at the, uh, the table the other night, and uh, they were talking. Our kids always talk about marriage, especially if they see mom and dad kiss. They're like, oh, you know, I now pronounce you man and wife. That's Jason's thing. I now pronounce you man and wife. And so uh, that's how that goes in the home. Uh, but uh, uh, little Savannah goes, uh, and marriage is between, one, uh, between a man and, oh, no. Only boys and girls get married. All right, And I was like, Bravo, right on. I mean, that's, that's uh, exactly right. And so I, but we want that just not to be something that they've learned, but something that they believe in their heart because God says so. So he's to go on in this thing that 
that the things that he has been assured of by his grandmother, chapter 1, verse number 5, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, they've taught him these things. And he has learned these things from a, a child from the Word of God, right? And so praise God. That's the ultimate uh, goal in our homes is to raise him up in the nurture and admonition of the, of the Lord. And so he's learned these things from his uh, grandmother and from his mother. But you know something? And between chapter 14 and, that, and between chapter 16 in the book of Acts, do you know that someone was teaching Timothy as a young man? Why is it that when we open up the book of Acts in chapter 16 that we get introduced to this certain disciple, Timothy? Well, friends, where did he become a disciple? In his home first, but where secondly? When Paul left that place, he set elders, he set pastors in order. There was a functioning church there. Let me just tell you, there was, there was a group of believers that were gathering, and there was discipleship. There was, I'm not talking about a program, I'm talking about the, the church was gathering together there, and between the first missionary journey and the second missionary journey, Timothy was growing in the context of the local church. So much so that the men of the church said, Paul, here's a man, here's someone, here's a certain disciple he ought to consider. And he was well known among those in that region. And so he was to continue in things that he had learned from his church family as well, but also from the apostle Paul in Acts 16, verse 3. Paul took him on the journey with him, and from that point forward, he becomes this, this sidekick of Paul where he's learning the ministry on the road. And here as we open up 1 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse number 2, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Wow. So Timothy, continue on. Continue on. Yes, the days are dark, but you need to continue forward in the word of truth. John 8, 31, if ye continue in my word, Jesus said, then are ye my disciples indeed. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Continue forward in it. Yes, the days are perilous. Yes, they are. There are many deceivers. There's many antichrists in the world. There's many rebranded heirs. Yes, there are. We cannot receive them, but we must continue forward on the firm foundation of the word of God. And friends, that happens in each individual life here tonight. You have to continue forward. If Grace Baptist Church will continue forward as a church, you must continue forward personally in your own walk with God. I cannot, I cannot feed you throughout the week. That is not my, my role, my responsibility. My responsibility is in this context as the church assembles to preach the word. As we'll see in the, the following verses, we'll, we'll preach the word and be instant in it, but you must make the choice to continue forward, not getting alerted by all that's going on around and not, not getting alerted by all the false teachers, not allowing sin to, to build up in your life so that you are a prey for these false teachers. Preach the word. Acts 2 and verse number 42. The early church was characterized by this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? You all know that? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Go home and brush up on Acts chapter number 2 and verse 42. God didn't put that in there by accident. The first thing that church continued forward in was the word of God. The very first theme that I led here in 2016, the first full year that I was pastoring, was continue from Acts 2.42 on purpose because I wanted you to know and I wanted others to know that that was my heart, that that's the direction we're going. We're not, we're not going after some seeker-sensitive model. We're not trying to rebrand or reface the, the ministry. We're going to continue in the Word. We're going to open up the Word. We're going this direction. 
That's what we individually must continue to do. No matter who it attracts or who it, who it pushes away, we do it with love, we do it with courage, we do it with kindness, but we must continue in the word steadfastly. And so would you do this tonight as you'd bow there tonight and just give some things to the Lord. I want to I offer you a consideration in prayer. Maybe you would pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, help me to continue forward in your word. Lord, help me to continue forward in your word. I want your word to be the filter through which I view everything, the food for my soul, the counselor for my every decision, the subject for my, of my greatest interest, and the object of my unwavering loyalty. God, help me to continue forward in your word. Friends, that is a decision that Timothy needed to heed, and that's a decision that you have to heed tonight. Lord, I need to continue. That's going to get as down to the brass taxes. Are you going to be right with that person you're not right with? Are you going to say, I was wrong to your husband or to your wife? Will you please forgive me? Are you going to not just try to blend in with the world, but you're going to try to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what, even if that makes you stand out from the, the culture? Are you going to try to hold forth the word of light, not murmuring and disputing about every single thing in life, so you can hold forth the word of truth? You realize that our words, our words affect those around us, and so we're murmuring about everything, murmuring about the leaves, murmuring about the gas price, murmuring about this waitress that doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, do the right thing. Murmur, 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 murmur. And God says, as practical as that is, that robs you of being able to hold forth the word of light, be able to shine brightly in this age. God, I want to continue. Right there in your seats, I invite you, I invite you to seek the Lord. God, I commit to continue. This isn't just... Thanks for joining us for this episode and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. 
we'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode, and we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.